Welcome to Finding Proof, where we discuss all things early stage VC. We're your hosts, Thanasis and Jenny of the Proof Fund, and our goal is to get to know the best seed and early stage VCs out there. In this episode, we spend some time getting to know Sonali Vijayavargiya, who is the founder and managing partner of Augment Ventures, a seed and early stage fund based out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, focused on Midwestern technology opportunities. Hi, Sonali. Thanks for joining us today. To start our podcast episode, can you tell us a little more about Augment Ventures and what the fund is about? Great to be here. Augment Venture is really investing at the intersection of digitization and data. We believe that new company formation will drive transformation of traditional industries. We are really excited to support founders who are creating products and solutions that are going to drive adoption, whether it relates to decision now using data or using data and digitization to make sure that there is transparency and security using new business models to really drive faster adoption. So Augment Ventures really invest in early stage companies. Uh, We place a lot of attention in what is happening in the Midwest ecosystem, but we also support entrepreneurs in the Bay Area or Boston, New York area, and try to bring resources from Midwest to these regions as well. Got it. And you're based out of where? We are based out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Then how was the fund started originally? Who, who started it? What was the impetus? Yeah, that's an interesting question. This dwells a little bit on my background. I grew up in India, went to school there and worked in institutions like Industrial Development Bank of India, worked with Coopers, and then joined a bunch of my friends to start India's first technology investment bank called Edelweiss Capital, really working hands-on with Indian entrepreneurs who were trying to make a difference in this age of innovation and age of new startups being created using software and internet services. One of the first Indian internet service called Redev.com was listed on NASDAQ and that was my client. So it was a great journey and a great experience of seeing that value creation right from ideation to actually implementation and wealth creation for all stakeholders. So then, of course, a beautiful year like 2000 came along and everybody was not feeling so smart. And I was in the midst of actually launching my first venture fund for Edelweiss Capital around 2000. And the capital had really dried up for any kind of VC efforts. So my husband's work brought us to Michigan in 2001. I originally wanted to just get a job and get on with my life, but that was not my destiny. And my second round of entrepreneurial adventures started first working in the ecosystem here with a number of text transfer companies coming out of University of Michigan and Michigan State, really helping entrepreneurs understand what commercialization is, really helping them develop their plans to scale their business and technologies and to make that impact. A number of them were successful and their encouragement from my consulting clients and my desire to have a more meaningful or impact on the companies that I was working with, I launched Augment Ventures in 2011. So I would say two accidents, one in India and one in Michigan that led me to launch my fund. 
And what are some of the distinguishing factors of the fund? Other than the thesis and realizing the importance of these technologies, a lot of times you will hear people talk about cloud computing or edge computing or different kinds of tools and services. The way the augmenting thinks about investing is like what impact, what difference is these companies or solutions going to make? One is our understanding of finding that niche where there is a gap and some value can be created. That's step one of just working in the space. The second part I would say that distinguishes Augment Venture is a close relationship with our founding teams. We really work hands-on with our entrepreneurial teams, walking alongside them, being their thinking partner in their discovery as well as execution, because it's a long curvy road and there are lots of ups and downs, whether it be roadblocks in product development or team structure or financing or just the environment. For example, even now in COVID time last year, we spent a ton of time working with our founding teams to make sure that we stabilize the team, we take care of their mental health issues, make sure they're involved and they feel supported. So I think these are a few distinguishing characteristics of Augment Ventures that we get asked to be part of interesting companies and walk alongside them. Is there an example of a company that you're particularly proud of that can showcase this interesting nexus of technologies in the Midwest? Of course, one of our leading portfolio company out of Midwest is Lamasoft, which is a supply chain software company and which got acquired by Coupa Software recently for $1.5 billion. I always joke that we duct taped our fund one and duct tape our way to our first unicorn at the fund. And it is interesting to see how Lamasoft designed this massive impact and visualization with senior management could see how to develop and improve their supply chain. And given the conditions of COVID, we've all realized how much strain the supply chain have faced. And now by using this particular solution, you will have a better visibility of how to plan for your supply chain, how to see how they are placed. And also it has a massive impact on efficiency. So when you have an optimized supply chain, it's a software solution, but it's a massive impact on energy utilization because what you're doing by optimizing your supply chain is you're making sure that it is more productive and efficient and thereby utilizing less of uh, fuel to transport goods around. So that's an interesting example of what's happening in Midwest and the success in Midwest, and as well as our thesis, that convergence of technologies to make a real tangible impact. And what other sort of interesting and exciting trends are you seeing within your particular focus areas? From the very beginning, we have been focused on digitization and data. But in light of the new environment, the experience that all of us collectively went through as a society and as a business of COVID-19, we have definitely started to think a little bit more on the future of work or future of education. How can we use technology to support accessibility culturally, geographically? How can we ensure that engagement and that sense of belonging is there when we work in teams and so on and so forth? Science has done a great job and hopefully everyone will get vaccinated, but that's not an area of our skill set. Where we specialize and what technologies we understand is going to be around the enterprise and around education and future of work. Is there a strength in a particular area in the Midwest that you think gives the Midwest an unfair advantage relative to other areas? 
When we think about Midwest, I, I do think that their ability to build stuff is really extensive. Billions of dollars also go into the research centers in the region. And I think there is a change in mindset about commercializing this locked up well. Since I moved here about 20 years ago, there has been tremendous amount of progress. At University of Michigan, for example, the tech transfer was off campus, and now it sits in the middle of the campus, 15 minutes away from the research lab and the business school. So one advantage is unlocking the value of research that is being done in the region, not only in Michigan, but in Wisconsin and Illinois and other places in Ohio. The second part is strong talent pool. Top quality talent is being produced. Any particular areas or all across? I would say all across, whether you look at it from a software perspective, or you look in the material science perspective, or you look at an aerospace, these are leading programs in the region. So this is helpful. Third thing I would point to is it's just its manufacturing base where people build stuff. Most of our portfolio companies are engaged in this region, either via talent, manufacturing asset, or as customers. So we feel that the Midwest is bringing to the ecosystem of innovation their talent, their research capabilities, their manufacturing assets, and on top of it, lower cost of living. Now, as people are having more distributed teams, I feel that Midwest talent will be more recognized and appreciated. And speaking to the fund selection criteria, I know that you guys look for obviously a massive market opportunity, early customer traction, defensible technology, the usual things. But as you had referenced on your website, I think the number one standout is really great teams that have a quote unquote uncommon ability to execute. I'd love to hear from you about how you determine that, what factors you look for, maybe even an example about a company that you've recently started talking to. When we talk about teams, we really look for diverse teams. And we don't mean diversity just in terms of ethnic diversity. We really are trying to tap into that intellectual diversity. We believe that when teams with different ethnicities, different backgrounds come together, they bring intellectual diversity, which is really important when you're trying to solve big problems. For example, even one of our first companies in Fund One called Apiria Technology, where they make a solution to automatically inflate um, tire pressure in trucks and fleets. It's a diverse team which came together to solve a really big problem of efficiency, safety in a transportation segment. In one of the newer companies that we recently invested in, in our fund too, a company called Crowds, which is creating the software platform to help small and medium-sized businesses make sure that their invoices get paid in time. They have the liquidity to remain in business and they're getting support and traction from Facebook was trying to support their minority and diversity. So these teams are made up for ethnically diverse founders and they are all coming together to solve big problems. So I think that's how we, when we say that we want uncommon ability to execute, we're really referencing to diverse team coming together with the diverse intellectual capital to make change happen. That makes a lot of sense. And for the founders that are listening, how would you recommend that they go about initially building diverse intellectual capabilities? I think one of the best ways for founding teams is to see whenever they're trying to solve a problem and they're passionate about to 
find people who are equally passionate and concerned about their problems. So for example, one of our other portfolio company, Bloom, which is in the water space, basically trying to help leak detection and water management for utilities. The team came out of San Luis Obispo and Cal Poly team. And these guys were really passionate about making sure that we value this critical resource water. And then they build this team around them with with experience and diversity of thought and different team members. So that's the way I would say that number one thing that founding team members should think about is come together with people who are trying to solve a problem. So with your heavy focus on teams, do you tend to then shy away from sole individual founders? We do. There's definitely a barrier because we believe that a company is built with different individuals bringing something to the party. It's like when you're cooking, I'm a big cook and a big chef in my house and you, I need my spices to really bring out all the flavors. Similarly, in an organization, even if it's a sole founder, I think if the mindset is that I can do it all, I think that's the scary part. As long as the sole founders comes to us and says, hey, this is my idea, this is my concept, and I'm good at this, and I'm going to build my team with these other individuals or help me find these individuals, I think it's more a matter of mindset than actually just a solo founder. So we are not in favor of a solo founder with the mindset of like, I'm going to do it alone, but we are in favor of a founder who comes with the ideas and says, hey, help me build this team. Yeah, and on that point, where do you find most of your deal flow? Does it come from university outreach efforts or community around the university? Or is it mostly people that are out in the industry that are tapping university resources after the fact? In the Midwest, we are very well connected with the university ecosystem. So we do get a ton of deal flow from there. But mostly once we started investing our fund, fund one, we are getting tremendous amount of deal flow from our founders. Our founders are reaching out to their community and saying, hey, Augment is a great partner to build a company. And we're getting ton of deal flow from there. The second source of deal flow, you know, as our companies have progressed and we have engaged larger funds who have more capital under management and get on to the investing in series B or C or D when a company has achieved, uh, let's say five or $10 million in revenue run rate, these guys also oftentimes see deals really more appropriate and there is a company building element that is needed. And so we get deal flow from them as well. And what's the balance of opportunity versus supply of capital in the Midwest? We recently were talking to another fund, Mercury Fund, that focuses in the mid-continent. They're out of Houston, but they focus in areas that you do as well. And they were making the comment that it attracts more attention. But I'm just curious from the ground, how do you see availability of capital for entrepreneurs? I think slow and less. The mindset has changed tremendously in the mid-continent or greater Midwest, as I describe it. There is an increased appetite for investors to be part of this ecosystem. There is increased number of company formation, as well as IPs that is getting licensed for new company formation from these universities. However, there is a tremendous lack of capital, which is giving opportunity for some of the coastal investors to come and participate in our ecosystem. So if our ecosystem here in the greater Midwest has homegrown institutional investors, I think it would further elevate the region as well as get interest from coastal venture where we'll have feet on the ground to help build the company. And in that vein, do you get 
pushback from LPs when you talk about the opportunity saying, hey, no, it's only the big cities. Do you see interest from LPs? I think LPs are also realizing that there is company formation in the region. And definitely for us, since our biggest success is from the region, we are definitely champions for the region. And we can say, hey, you can get a unicorn from here as a first fund. Llamasoft is a great homegrown story and for our first debut fund. So I think we are getting more interest from institutional and LPs at this time as we are trying to launch our fund three that, hey, this is a really interesting fund, which did great ground level work with founding team to build it up to this level. I feel there is more interest in our strategy of investing in Midwest and bridging with the Bay Area or Boston area or things like that. And how do you utilize the advisory team that you've set up? Augment is really blessed with a great deep bench of advisors, and a lot of them have been operators in the industry as well and had their own entrepreneurial success. The way we typically leverage our advisory board is by A, in due, first, in due diligence. We definitely seek their input and guidance when we are looking at an opportunity which is in their sector. And the second thing is our portfolio companies benefit tremendously because they are able to share their journey and as well as their resources with them. Particularly in case of Lamasov, one of our founders is working very closely with another portfolio company of ours and bringing that experience of how to develop Salesforce, how to develop this customer relationship to further elevate and win big contracts. Tell us a little bit about your own personal background. You alluded to it, just what made you interested in venture and why are you excited about what you're doing? One of the big reasons I started Augment Ventures was honestly to make sure that I'm a good partner with portfolio companies. Having spent almost 15 years working as an investment banker and as a consultant, I realized capital is just not enough for these companies, particularly at early stage. You want to make sure you have a partner that is willing to walk with you, think with you, be part of your journey and discovery. And that is the difference between success and failure. So I think that is the fundamental thing that has motivated me to be part of this industry, part of this innovation cycle, to play a role in creating and building these companies which will have generational impact. That's my fundamental thinking about venture business. So from my other part of my background is my father was in the army and we traveled from base to base every two years. And so every time India is a diverse country and every time we were thrown into a new environment with a new culture, new language, and we had to come up and be resourceful to engage and thrive in that. I've always found that very exhilarating in the value and experiences that it creates. I feel that that translates to venture investing as well. You know, where you need to be curious, you have to engage with your environment and deliver value. So I think these traits have helped me be a good partner with my portfolio companies. So now we're going to switch gears and go into our four standard question segment. And this is just something we ask all of our guests and attempt to get to know you better. And we're looking forward to hearing your answers. Our first question is the NVCA question. The National Venture Capital Association advocates for public policy that supports the venture community and the American entrepreneurial ecosystem. If there was one thing that you could change about the VC industry or one policy that you'd advocate for, what would it be? From a larger VC industry perspective, I would say 
collectively, we all should be conscious and aware of our conscious and unconscious bias towards diverse and ethnically diverse founders. Particularly when we are evaluating these investment opportunities and we look for skin in the game, we should be aware about the wealth gap these particular communities have. So at a large level, I would encourage our colleagues to be aware of that and support these founding teams who have great ideas and great solutions for our society. From the policy side, clearly talent is very, very important. So making sure that we can have access to the best talent from all over the world, that is really, really important. And policies that support that, that helps us retain talent to build these new companies in our country is an important issue. So I would definitely support that. The other point that I would like to add on is tax treatment towards R&D expenses. If there are any policy discussions around that, I think that would be really helpful to support our ecosystem. Those are great points. Absolutely. Number two is if you weren't a VC and money wasn't a concern, what career would you have? I think you guys already know that. I would be a crazy person, but I'm sorry. (laughs) The public. I think that's the best answer we've ever gotten. (laughs) Gosh, that's a hard one for me. You know, I'm by nature very curious and genuinely want to learn and discover. So I think if I wasn't a VC, I would either be a travel guide or a travel writer or a chef mixing up all kinds of different cuisines and trying to create something new and interesting. That sounds awesome. So it sounds like you're a very good cook then. Well, dangerously, but. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. We're inviting ourselves over. (laughs) You know, to tell you a funny story, before I came to the U.S., I could barely make a cup of tea, but I was blessed with a great grandmother who was an awesome cook. And one of my friends was a great cook and I just couldn't eat just simple food. And I just learned it organically. And No one in India believes that I can actually cook, but I cook for 100 people now and all kinds of cuisines, all kinds of cuisines. That's awesome. Number three is who is someone that you look up to and why? I look up to my grandmother, actually. She was born in 1920s and had only education till middle school. Life threw a curveball at her and my grandfather was incapacitated and she was resourceful to raise her daughter and inspire younglings like us to always be learning through her transition from the British occupied India to she passed away a few years ago at the age of 90 years. And just making sure that you are present and always be learning that kind of a mindset has helped me in my career and in my life in general. I wish I had a more lofty inspirer, but I really look up to my grandmother. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. She sounds like an incredible woman who's made a, a great impression, obviously, on, on you and everything that you're doing today. So number four is what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice that I've received is get in the game and stay in the game if you want to make an impact and your voice heard. Great advice. <laughs> great. Well, Sonali, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciated your time and enjoyed learning more about Augment Ventures. Thank you so much. And follow us on Twitter at ProofVC or on our website at proof.vc. Mm-hmm.